Welcome to the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Tackling some of the biggest issues in men's mental health. Hello, yeah, sorry I haven't done one for a while. This is episode 20 of the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Episode 20. Really lucky today to be joined by James Shaw of... You were born in Nottingham, is that right? Yeah. Nottingham. And now you reside in... We had this little chat then, didn't we? Below Sheffield, bit below Derby, Chesterfield. Yeah, just outside Chesterfield, edge of the Peak District. Edge of the Peak District. That area. Thank you very much for coming along today. Thanks for having me. I think we messaged a bit before, a while back, I was like, oh, let's get it, you know. So I'm trying to make amends, anyone I I kind of messaged. (laughs) I'm trying to not be a dick and flick them and be like, yeah, come on, we can still make it work. I think we first spoke, was it end of 2019? God, was it that long ago? Gateshead finish? Yes, it was, wasn't it, for the Tower of Britain? Yeah, yeah, I think. God, that was a long The Yorkshire Grits Podcast. What's happened since then, isn't it? I haven't done one for a while because I'm lazy, but, you know, just a quick one. just want to say thanks to everyone at the moment who's, you know, I got the most amazing email on Sunday night from this guy. And I sometimes always forget just about how much people need this podcast and stuff. And I get a little bit kind of um, absorbed and think people don't want to listen to it. And I feel like, why am I doing this? It's stupid. But that email was just amazing. And we're here. We're doing it. We're moving forward. Things are good at the moment. Things are really, really, really good at the moment. So I'm very fortunate, very blessed that I'm in a really good place at the moment. And we're going to crack on today with James Shaw. So that brings me kindly on, James. Nationals, Sunday. Mm. How are you feeling? I'm a bit sore now, actually. Yeah, the like the old pins are um, they're suffering a bit. All in all, like I see nationals as like a week, you know, not just a one. They say I had the time trial on Thursday. I'll be honest, I nearly didn't nearly didn't bother riding any <laughs> of the events because um, finished tour of Britain. I come down with just you know like end of summer cold, you know, yeah. like everyone you know, everyone gets it. There's there's a lot going around at the moment. Mm. I feel fucked. Yeah, I had it and. You know, because like your immunity is so useless at the minute, isn't it? So you've basically been wrapped in cotton wool for a year. Yeah. I just came, it just hit me harder than it normally would. So I had a week off and um and an R in whether to ride or not. But no, in hindsight, I'm glad I did. I had a good TT. And then I think, yes, Sunday, I, the time off just caught me a little bit, you know, like by the time I went to the third hour, I just started to realize, yeah, it's best legs are, you know, already spent sort of thing. And, because um, I watched it on Sunday. Uh, went out for a little walk, came back. I thought I'm going to watch it. It's hard to watch cycling if you haven't done something in the morning. You know, we were messaging about how uh, I think I was in Wales and you were like, there's no better feeling than riding, coming home, putting a fire on and then chilling. I think that's in our heads, isn't it? Cycling. Mm. If you haven't done something in the morning, you feel a bit guilty just watching the cycling. It's a lot easier yeah, to It's a lot easier to watch it. Um, I turned it on and you'd miss the break. Uh, yeah, and I hate that term missed. To me, when anyone ever said to me, "Oh, I've missed the break," I was like, "Fuck off, mate!" There's no no such thing as missing it because you can always get across. Uh, yeah, like you say, missed it. Nationals isn't a normal race, is it? You know, it's a one day race, and effectively everyone rides for themselves. Teamwork goes doesn't go out the window completely. It's like a national B, isn't it? Basically, yeah, it's it's a bit of a free for all, and um, you never really know what's going to happen. The attacks are going left, right, and centre. You know, it's the only time of year as well that maybe some of the lower ranked teams get to see how they're going to compare to Ineos and yeah. Cav and De Kernick, you know, so they're all there. Did you get on with Cav? Did you speak to him? Yeah, yeah. First time I met him, actually, was um, Stockton Nationals 20... 16. Yeah, yeah, that was the one. On a live one. 
Blythe one, yeah. I was under 23 at the time. and I can't believe you're only 25. Feels like I've been around a while, <laughs> doesn't it? And um, Cav launched this attack and me being like a young under 23, I was thinking, well, you don't let Cav just go up the road, do So I chased him and I was on his wheel. He looked back and he was raging that I was on his wheel. So he brake checked me, like grabbed both brakes as hard as he could. I was like shooting up the back of him, like, you know, when your front wheel touches the back of someone else's back wheel and you, you think you're going down. But it was on camera and it was all... <sighs> It was all on the TV at the start and the finish. Yeah, he came up to me at the finish and he sort of apologised. Ever since it's sort of been like a joke we've had, ever since, and, you know, now we get on reasonably well, always have a bit of a chinwag sort of thing and stuff like that, but it's always been like a, a bit of a joke between us. What's know? he like? Is he There was a stage in the Tour of Britain where he went in the break with Tim de Klerk, Rory yeah. Townsend, and what was that the one into Gateshead? George Bennett was in it as well. Yeah, it was into Gateshead, wasn't it? Yeah. He and, got caught um, right at the bottom of the kicker, didn't he? And there was this, there's this scene, right, if anyone's listening, go on YouTube and watch it now. Tim de Klerk's a little bit up the road because he's attacked and Cav's been caught behind. And it's that moment where you can't really flick your team because they're already yeah. up the road. It's like, well, what do I do? Anyway, he's obviously took his time. Everyone's attacked and he's gone over the top of him. <laughs> and he's trying to get the Tim de Klerk. He goes, Tim! He just shouts, Tim! Like, to wait up. It's just, honestly, yeah. it's absolute gold. He's absolute gold. Yeah. I think I like seeing Mark race at things like the national champs of the Tour of Britain. Because I think people, a lot of people see him as this, he doesn't do anything, he just sits at the back of the line and he only has to ride the last 150 metres. But when you actually look at races, like he gets an opportunity to race. I think like that pure racing instinct inside him just sort of like explodes out, doesn't it? I think people underestimate how good he actually is at racing and tactically moving around the bunch. And I've and, always seen that in him. Yeah. He did that at Nationals. Yeah, every Nationals he pulls something out. Is he? The one around Lincoln where Kenner won. Roe, Kenner, Stannard and him in the break. Yeah. Right, free only us, one of him. And he dropped Stannard and Luke Rowe. Do you know how hard mm. that is to drop Ian Stannard and Luke Rowe? It was just incredible mm. and I thought, you're yeah. not just, I was like, you're not normal. Yeah. You're not just, you get made out just a sprinter, but you're not. Yeah, he's a thoroughbred, isn't he? He's, people, I think, often see him like he you know, isn't known for being the best of the climbers, is he? But, you know, when you get him on something like a Lincoln course where there's that heavy cobble climb, numerous repetitive times and things like that. And, yeah, I think that aspect of him comes out of its shell and, yeah, we're not treated to seeing that very often. So getting back to the race, sorry, I always digress. <laughs> you uh, missed it in inverted commas. And then I saw you go across for that call, Sean Flynn from Fair Play, the lad. He was like, he, he, young lad, isn't he? Another under 23 rider. Couldn't come past you, could he, to begin with? I don't think you mind me saying, I think I contributed more to getting across oh, yeah, than yeah. he did. You know, but said to him, I looked at him, I said, look, like, if we don't make it across now, we might as well climb off. We've messed up here. That's, you know, we've got to right around. How did you get away from the peloton? Because once you've missed it, people just. It's so hard. it's like a two, three, four race. People don't let you go to the. Yeah, I think people going out the back as quick as they were going out the front. The peloton was like um, every time would lose a good number of riders, not just a handful, like a good, you know, a good number of go out the back. Originally, we got off in a in a small group with um, someone from Trinity, a few other riders, uh, GB lad, myself, and him. And I said to these lads in this group, I said, "Look, like you know, if we're gonna get across, we're better to." cream it now just for 20 minutes, get there and sit on, then fanny around for the next hour. Because you got across pretty quick. Don't want to get stuck in no man's land, you know? Like, I put it on Instagram. I said, mm. oh, Gladiator. I don't know if you saw that. You didn't reshare really it. Thanks a lot. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, again, in cycling, there's so many things in a bike race that people don't see. Yeah. And like that for you and for him, 
Mm. It's such a moment in your, you know, it's like, can you remember that time where we crossed the break in nationals? I think when you look at who we crossed to as well, it wasn't like we're crossing away to an early breakaway no. three or four. We crossed to Swift. And yeah, the breakaway of the race. It took us longer than I probably would have wanted to get there. Um, spent so many pennies trying to get well, there. Well, that's what I thought. Yeah. Because do you get ninth in the end, which is still a number. That, yeah. Unbelievable. When you think about it, there's only eight people in the UK who are better than you at cycling. Really, That's what National Championship says. Because Jake Stewart, his legs went pretty early. Yeah. He's, he's strong as an ox. And yeah, definitely. Your teammate, Dan Bigham. Was there to start with, yeah. Someone said, don't call him Bingham. Bigham. Yeah, Big Ham. Big Ham. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he, uh, did he crash? Yeah, yeah. So I was in this sort of no man's land with, with Sean and he got dropped on one of the laps up the climb and then we caught him in this sort of, you know, no man's land area sort of. And um, I said, oh, you know, like, how are you feeling? He, was, he says he's spent. I said, oh, okay, well, let's get back across at least then. We'll do something. He putting in these monster turns, and you know, Lincoln, when you've, you you go down the descent and mm, do a left. Yeah, you do the left, and then you do the right left chicane, and then you've got that sort of ninety degree left, and it's on like a fairly sort of big, wide open road. But it, it throwing it down the morning for the women's race, they got by far the worst weather conditions, and then there was all like tree debris and leaves and stuff, and just took this left hander, and I thought, yeah, and like I'm committing pretty hard to these bends, but I'm like he's. He was going for it and then... Well, the first corner he took, the commentator said that he went too quick yeah. on the corner. Inevitably he did, didn't he, he did. in the end? <laughs> you know, I don't know, Dan, but, you yeah. know, I don't want to see him on crash. Definitely but um, great result. And then you... Mm. Did you shock yourself a little bit two days before the town trial? Yeah, 100%. And like I say, I, I'd been ill and on the Tuesday, I, I was in an RSS now, I'm not going to bother. But the good thing for me is Nationals is always on a... The time trial always tends to be on a pretty aggressive course and i'm not too bad at riding time trials on those you know if these like drag strip time trials where it's out to a roundabout and back down a massive stefan kong is just gonna yeah that's not my cup of tea that i can't you, you need like a sporting course yeah yeah like a, a sporting course exactly i looked at the profile as well i says well i'll give it a bash i thought i'll go there i'll ride my own pace do my own thing we'll just see what the result is you now know? are you playing the game here james are you one of these cyclists who's like, oh, I was ill, you know, I had a Mars bar and I woke up and I, I didn't really, or are you just like that? Is, is that how you are or are you very much kind of, nah, I'm going to study this profile inch by inch. I'm going to look at the wind, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm aero, you know. I sort of just take it as it comes, you know. Before this year, I didn't, I thought like, you know, aero's a myth. I thought it didn't really exist. I thought it was something Dan had invented to... <laughs> used through watch shop like it's almost something that like i'd never have experienced coming to ribble probably never would have ridden with dan or anyone else on the team and being convinced by the whole thing sort of thing you know it's, it was sort of always something i just thought oh you know like weights everything you go and strip as many grams off and off put out as much power and it didn't really matter until this year when dan was so do you think you your know, third place was Aero influenced. Oh, yeah, 100%. Definitely. Definitely. Like, I look back at even just looking at pictures of myself before and I'm thinking, can't believe I ever even bothered getting on the TT bike with that sort of thing. And I've always thought I'm better at, at maybe racing and using the parkour and things like that to help me. Punchy rider doesn't yeah. mean... Yeah. You know, I don't massively bury myself in looking at the parkours and stuff, but... This year, yeah, like I say, it's been something that's sort of come around a bit more. And say Dan's obviously he's he's massively generous with his time and knowledge. Well, at least 
you know, while you're on the same team as him. I was hoping, mate, you were going to be like, no, nah, I don't believe in it. <laughs> I was at the beginning of the year, definitely the beginning of the year. I was like, it's not real. But really? He's, do you he's, have some chinwags? Do you have some... Yeah, oh, he's got a spreadsheet for everything. He joking? What do you mean? Anything. He, he goes, oh, hold on a minute. Let me just get my phone out. And he whips his phone out and like, gets like an Excel document. Up. He's like, look, look, look. I don't really understand it. I don't claim to know all the, you know. He says, oh, you know, this is... Uh, Point one CDA this. I'm just like, all I want to know is if it's fast or not. I'm not really interested in the ins and outs. I just want to know. I think I'd be like that. Yeah. yeah. I think people who do the aero, mm. like Dan and Harry, you automatically want to hate them. Well, I do. I yeah. automatically just want Ru- to go. <laughs> Ruin cycling. <laughs> yeah, you, you are ruining my yeah. sport here. Wear cotton socks and normal helmets and go on with it. <laughs> you know, why you tilt your bars in? Why yeah. you got the most ungainly position? And I said to someone on the mm. phone earlier, Am I saying that because I'm bitter and I'm not nuanced enough that cycling is a progressive moving forward sport? Yeah. Or no, fuck it. No, it is ungainly. Just don't be a weirdo and just train. Because yeah. aero could be a myth. Okay, just listen to me here, James. Alaphilippe won the Worlds in shorts and jersey and a set of cotton socks, didn't he? And he didn't have his bars till it didn't. He didn't have his bars till it But he's exceptional. Yeah, definitely. So on one side, you can do these gains mm. and you can tilt your bars in which is great, but if you trained harder, you know, but then I suppose you're supposed to do both. So yeah, I put this to Dan and said, he was like, this will save you five watts. And I just said to him, I just pedal five watts hard. And he's like, well, yeah, but if you do both. Because Malcolm Elliott, I messaged him and I was like, um, were you ever bothered about being there? He went, no, I just used to tuck in behind someone. Yeah. I was like, that's such a great comment. <laughs> I was like, that's just, and then Sean yeah. Kelly, you can see Sean Kelly when sometimes Dan Bigham does these appearances. Yeah. You can see Sean Kelly's just, he has to be correct because he's on Eurosport. You know he wants to fucking do it. Yeah. Are you going to tilt your bars in, yes or no? No, God, no, 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 no. I'm not tilting the bars in. Definitely not. I mean, I run a fairly narrow bar anyway because I'm not the biggest of people. No, you've got, I'm looking at you yeah. now, you've got very narrow shoulders yeah i'm a small a small frame so i don't need to go silly bars because that's normal for me you know like a whatever at the same time like the sport is moving forward and to a degree i think these marginal gains whatever you want to call them they sort of do have a an influence on the sport like dan for example i don't think he'd be as fast as he was on that time trial without all his gains you know what i mean i think because didn't he win, break the hour record? He went the furthest British person. What, faster yeah. than Wigo? Faster than Brad. Well, then uh, that's just a con, because yeah. he's not as strong as Bradley Wiggins. If anything... Sorry, I don't mean a con before. Oh, I'm going to have to be careful here. He is not as physically strong as Bradley Wiggins. No, there's not many people in the world that when Brad was at his peak were that good. But, but he's beaten his record. Yeah, but I think if if you look at how Campanarts beat it and how... Dan's beating it. I think that just goes to show how good Brad's attempt was. When you look at the conditions and the thing on the, how fast the track was on the day Brad did it compared to what Campanarts did it, for example. So like Campanarts did his altitude and things like that. And, you know, Alex is going to go to um, Mexico and do it and things like that. So he's wearing a 2,700 pound skin suit. I don't know what to say to that. That's got a lot of money. And a 950 pound chain ring. I didn't want the podcast to become this because you've got such a great story and we are going to delve into that. But in swimming, they banned the swimmers using, was it the black leggings, the longer black leggings? Yeah, those funny suit things that was ridiculously quick, didn't they? You know, what's the difference between that and... An ultra-fast time trial suit. To me now, it's almost, it's becoming a polarised and marginalised sport about who maybe has Mm. the most money. 
yeah, in essence, becoming Formula One, isn't it? Really, who's got a lab? Mm. Who who has their own laboratory? Yeah, because I say this to Dan. There's a lot of things he says, and for me, I'm still a believer of like the strongest man should win. Fucking right, James. Amen to that. Like, does Greg Van Avermaet give a fuck? <laughs> About what? Just anything? <laughs> no, but like... <laughs> Just life. When shit hits the fan and you're doing Dwarves Dwarves Landering of E3 Harlebecker and there's 40k to go, it ain't going to save you, mate. The thing is, like, so I adopted Dan's or the watch shop philosophy of heroes everything and all this sort of stuff, yet Hater didn't and Hater put nearly a minute into both of us in the time trial. Hang on, well, what do you mean Hater didn't? He's all aerod up, and he's hey, got. Whoa, I mean, he's yeah, but like in the sense that he can, he could always go further. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think Dan could make his bike any quicker. I think it's, it's yeah. nearly there. Where I think as well, like his at Ribble, we're sort of quite fortunate enough that as long as the frame set sort of says Ribble on it, the components we put on it afterwards is pretty much up to us. We can. So Ethan Hater, we're like I guess he's largely restricted to riding what the sponsor pays him to ride, isn't it, really? So do you think Ethan Hayter won because he was the strongest? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Look at, and then you look at Ben winning on Sunday. Both those races, the strongest man won on the day. 100%. But that's because they're well-taught and they've got loads of racing in their legs. When, yeah, when, when and they've also got the best nutritionists and coaches and so on, so on, so on, yeah. Um, because definitely. next season you are, you know, stepping up. Yeah. And then I dare say... If you have 70, 65 race days, you will produce a quicker time. Yeah, in theory. I think there's always a point where maybe too much becomes, you can, you can race too much, you can over race yourself. But there's certainly things that you can't replicate in training. Like you can't effectively recreate the conditioning a Grand Tour will give you in the coming season sort of thing. You know, guys finish the welter maybe this year and all right, probably finishes them for that year. But the following year that, you know, you come back and you've got, like an extra cylinder to your engine, haven't you? you think? You've got a bit more. I think there's things that, like, you know, the World Tour and the Pro Conny guys get that you can't. I think doing something like a Grand Tour is way better for you than wearing a set of fast socks or whatever. But then, like Dan says, if you wear, do the Grand Tour and wear the fast socks a little bit further so ahead, aren't you? So it's so interesting. We could do a separate topic on this. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because yeah. you, um, have you done a Grand Tour? No, no. But you've got 80... Did you get 85 for the World Championships 2019? What, six oh. hours, 40 minutes? Yeah, I finished a, a big old race at Innsbruck. Would you say that that is one of your proudest moments? Oh, no, it was Im Imola. Alaphilippe won, didn't he? First of Alaphilippe's wins, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to finish that race must have been seven, nearly seven hours on a bike. I can't really comprehend that. No. I mean, we had the stages dash head computer and... Got to the end of the race after seven hours and it flashed up with battery level low. I'm like, oh well, yeah, it's been out all day. Like, I think I'll touch on it a bit more when we go yeah. through the other bit. But like, I got to that race in the situation I was in team-wise and I was not not finishing, thinking that potentially could be the last race of my career. And it's the world championship. I'm not climbing off. Even if I have to roll to the finish and finish outside the time limit, I at least want to cross that finish line. Well, is that your mentality? It would definitely was for that race, yeah. It was more a personal thing, really. Yeah, obviously, at that point, I knew that the team I was on wasn't going to continue for the for what it would have been this year. And um, I was not going to end my career by 
watching a bike race finish that I could have finished myself, you know. That's a great attitude. I to thought, have. if this is it, if this is the end of my short-lived career, then I at least want to finish the world championships. And like, yeah, I didn't do a result. I was, what was it, 85th? 10 minutes down on, maybe more down on Alaphilippe. But for me, to finish the world championships and say, I didn't want to leave if that was the end of my cycling career at the time. And I know I didn't have a clue what was going to happen at that point. I at least wanted it to be a good end. You know, I at least wanted to sort of finish on my terms as supposed to looking at it, thinking, oh, you know, like 20 years down the line, I'd be like, oh, I had finished my last race and almost didn't even know that I'd finished it sort of thing, you know. And But that wasn't yeah. the end. But it wasn't the end. No. Which, which kindly <laughs> kind of reverts us back to where it not all went wrong, but you, you had a two-year Neo Pro deal at Lotto Sedal. Yeah, I mean, it go back even further than that. I left home at 18 and went to ride for Lotto's development team in Belgium. Yeah. So I did a couple of years there, and I must admit, like, the under-23 team for me was the highlight of the four years I sort of did in the Lotto jersey. That was what I enjoyed the most. And so after a year and a half, I got offered the option to a stagiaire and uh, went there. Didn't do many races with them, but one of the races I got to do was Tour of Britain. And that was like a big opportunity at the time was to go there, Tour of Britain, and ride my first Tour of Britain. Probably at the time, eight stages was the longest I'd ever done. Isn't it mad that you don't, when you see these things on the highlights on the TV, and when you see these results, you don't think about the fact that oh, this is this lad's first time doing eight stages. Mm. Were you shitting yourself a bit? I can't really remember, to be honest. I remember going there with the distinct instruction that we were sprinting for Greipel that week, or at least for the first four stages. And yeah, just sort of like getting stuck in and doing the best I can. I remember absolutely creaming myself all week getting to the end of the week and being pretty cooked. What's Andrew Greipel like as a guy? Yeah, mega. Real good. Real good. I got on with him like a like a house on fire. He really supported me. But that week at Tour of Britain was, it was the first week as a kid. I says as a kid, I'd have been 19, 20-ish at that point. I was like a big Wiggins fan growing up and like, yeah. you know, seen him win the tour and stuff. And I remember one day, I'd done my turn, like was going out the back and rolling down the peloton and just getting on the back of the peloton next to Brad and being too scared to talk to him. No. And being like, oh, oh my God, it's Brad Wiggins, don't say anything. Who, who was he riding for, Wiggins? Wiggins at the time, yeah. Because I'd seen you do it the year Pidcock did it and he went at Winlatter. Did you do it that year? Yeah, so that was 20... That was the year after? No, two two years after. So I first did it when Brad won gold in Rio and then... 2016 was the first year I did it. Then did it 2017. Then 2018 was the win latter. Not win latter. I remember seeing you because I was working for Lacole and I saw you at the end. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have remembered. If I'd just ridden up win latter, so I was like, I'd have probably bit. I think Walt Poles won and Pidcock was attacking up win latter. Yeah, Walt Poles won. Yeah. McCarthy yeah. was about third, wasn't he? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. I went in the break with Connor Swift. Love Connor Swift. Tony Martin and Kirienka, was it? Yeah, I know. Kirienka. Pick a pick a frigging <gasps> quad group to go what with. What was he like? Did he talk to you? Oh, he didn't tell you. He just looked at his stem and just rode at 5k an hour faster than everybody else. Uh, seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was an absolute weapon. I remember him, Tony Martin, 
I think that was the year Kirienko went and won the Worlds as well. Won a World World Time Trial Champion and, and I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember maybe like 15 cases ago or something like that. Because we did multiple ascents of Winlatter and we did a loop and then we were coming into the bottom of it and you know, maybe 5k to go or something like that. I remember him sitting on the front and looking at my stem, flat bit of road, and we were doing about 58k an hour. And I remember getting the time check saying the gap was coming down. And I'm thinking, we're doing 58k an hour here. How are they chasing us? Like, how are they catching us? Like, who else is on? If Kirienka's here in this group, who's chasing? Is that the definition of world tour? There's like the British scene, like National Bees on a Sunday, then there's Prem's which you did really well at. You and Premier Calendars were like gin and tonic. That must have been your bag. Yeah, I think World Tour like is, you know, when you're riding along and maybe you're a couple of days into a race or something like that and it gets really hard up a climbing a crosswind or something and you come down a gear and the gear is just too big for you and then you need to come back up into the gear you were in. Them guys can come down the gear and then press on again and they, they can just turn that slightly bigger gear that's slightly bit faster for that slight bit longer they're not massive you know they're not going 30 40 k an hour quicker they're only going like one two k an hour quicker. but it's that one two k an hour that just like breaks you just sort <laughs> of you can't find from nowhere yeah they just seem to have an extra cylinder on the engine when when you're going out the back a, a guy from italy mm. or spain will come around you swear at you couldn't you are, and then he'll just somehow be fine. Yeah, I think... And you'll see him pedalling away. When I had that stage at Tour of Britain, I remember just being, like, completely blown away by it. You know when you're a kid, maybe you just, like, pass your driving test, you've been driving around in your little one-litre, whatever it is, and your mum and dad goes on holiday, and you decide to take your dad's Merc for a spin, and you just <laughs> can't quite believe what's happening. You think, oh, but, you know, that sort of difference was... was all. I remember seeing it, I was sort of thinking... The jump. I remember coming away from that race and almost thinking like, yeah, I don't know how I'm ever going to get to that level. Like, I don't understand how people go that quick, you know. Like, what is it that's... And then people win, like, Liège or Lombardy. Yeah, and then there's another level again, isn't there? Was that your last race for Lotto, Sadal? No, so after the stage, yeah, I did two years with the pro team. Because you've been quite vocal about what happened there. Yeah, I mean... I on, get out. feel like it was not unfair, but, you know, I just never really bonded. Something just never quite clicked. Something was never quite right. And I think, you know, a lot of people have very similar situations with a lot of teams they go to. A lot of guys go to Spanish, Italian teams and maybe can't speak Spanish, can't speak Italian or, or whatever. And something just doesn't quite click. I think that was with me, really. It's sort of like something just didn't quite all fit together, even though I'd had a, an amazing time on the under-23 team and I thought that, oh, because, you know, they'd invested me in me as a young rider and taken me on and, you know, I, I was trying to sort of play the long game. I'd always committed to everything they'd asked. And then towards the end of my second year, not like things just started to fall apart, but, like, I just felt like I was just getting messed around a little bit. The writing was on the wall. Yeah, so there was a few situations where I was told, yeah, yeah, you'll go to this race, this race, this race, and um, you'll do that. Ah, like, oh, cool, okay. So I'd start training real hard for something and then be like pulled out of it last minute. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know what, like 
changes up and last minute, you know, not, you know, it's it's the real world here. Like, let's deal with it. You know, carry on training and be like, oh, sorry, yeah, last minute change of plan. You're back in that race. Go to that race and they'd be like, you know, I'd have done loads of training. I'd be too tired really to race at my best. And they'd sort of be there like, well, you know, why are you not racing at your best? It's like, well, just come out of doing a 25-hour week training camp or whatever and plonk straight into one of the biggest races in the world not really had time to recover so little things like that and that's what sort of leads me to the story i was going to say about gripal the reason i have so much respect for him is i didn't know i was i think the team had decided long before the end of the season that they weren't going to renew my contract and i think gripal knew that because we did a race one day and i start the race and was not feeling well i was really struggling and um, came and found me in the group and he sh shouted at me. He's like, why are you not trying to get in the breakaway? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, look, I'm on my knees today, you know, and blah, 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 blah. These are the things you don't see, the fast. Yeah, he came to me after the race and he, see, he knocked on my door while I was having a massage. And he says, um, I'm really sorry, do you mind if I come in? I says, no, 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 you're like, no worries. So he comes in and sits down and he says, uh, do you know why I shouted at you today? And I said, uh, oh, yeah, you're annoyed I wasn't going in the break. And he's like, well, that doesn't doesn't bother me too much, but he says, I know your time's limited at this team and I want to see you go no. on to better things. Get to fuck, really? So he come to me at the goodness of his own heart and sort of said, like, you don't know it yet, but... They're flicking you. No, I don't think he'd had it confirmed or he knew or whatever. Bet your ass dropped then. We just like... <sighs> I was just more grateful that he'd this big time, multiple Tour de France stage winning, multiple times German national champ almost like, you know, gorilla god of the sport had gone out of his way to come and talk to little 19, 20-year-old James Shaw to try and help him. You know, he didn't need to do that, did he? He could have just gone, yeah, no, this is not my problem, whatever, whatever, whatever. All he wanted was to help. You know, he was like, look, I don't want to see you have to go to, don't want you to get flicked, but this is why I want to help you. You know, this is why I came and said to you in the race that you need to race harder because he... He wanted to help me at the end of the day, you know. Isn't that great? Yeah, which is why I have the you utmost respect that. for him. No, because we live in a universe, and I'm finding this out though, and I'm doing. I've had to kind of change my life recently, and I'm five bit weeks in, and I'm blessed, and I'm the best I've ever been. Mm. Which took me a long time to get here. Yeah, you only get what you give back. Mm. We're very selfish people. Yeah, yeah definitely. Especially in cycling, you yeah. know what I mean. Doggy, dog, isn't it? No one's really your mate. No, and yeah. people hate it when I say that, but they're fucking not. Yeah, I think, and as I say, like, through what I've experienced is the only person that really cares about you is you. Yeah. And the sooner you almost, like, realise that, it's not a nice way to live. It's not a nice way to think, is it, that that's... And I get a lot of people, and I probably will after this, get a lot of people message from, like, youth parts of cycling clubs saying, oh, you shouldn't be saying this because you might put kids off getting into cycling. It's like, well... No, you're being realistic. Yeah, they're either going to learn the hard way, like I did, because I was... The snakes are going to get in the garden at some point. That was it, yeah. I came through all this, you know, fancy, this program and this, this and this and that and whatever, and no one ever said to me, oh, yeah, look, you'll go to a pro bike team and, you know, you'll get plonked into any race in every race. You'll, you know, work your ass off and then at the end of it, not really have anything to show for it and you'll be struggling to find a team. Oh, and by the way, 10 times a year, a random person's going to show up saying they're from Dope Control, watch you piss in a bottle and jab a needle in your arm. And no one really tells you that growing up as a kid, do they? No one tells no. you about 
no. questioning yourself when you go out training on a grey morning. And oh, do you know what, James? That is such a good point you've made there because it is a harsh reality that it's grim and it, and it is mm. going to be grim. And, yeah. and there are going to be people who aren't going to... It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. Cycling isn't the most funded sport. So no. therefore it lends itself to, you know, look at football. Mm. They're patting each other on the back of the buzzing. They're 30-man yeah. squads, seven-year deals. Mm. 70 grand a week. They can afford to have each other's interest at heart. Mm. It is a team sport. Mm. Still grinds my gears when people say cycling's a team sport. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's a team sport, but it is really, an individual sport, isn't it? Yeah. Really a team sport? Team sport, but you've got to look after number one, haven't you? It's team um, sport, but look after number one. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, and that that's the reason I have the time for Greipel is that he came to me, you know, and just sort of offered that helping hand, that advice that in, like we say, in this doggy dog world, and he was looking after, he was actually looking after somebody else. And for me, that was the big thing that, you know, I really like went home after that race. I was living in Girona at the time to my little apartment and actually was like, you know, that this guy's... You know, the real deal, you know, he's he's a true gen at heart. This is the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Because I felt like I was just being chucked in and out of races willy-nilly and that's not what I thought I'd gone to that team for and I sort of, yeah, lost a lot of motivation and actually Matt Bramier contacted me a way out from the world in Innsbruck and said, oh, look, like, this is your sort of course you know are you interested in going to the under 23 worlds and there's a lot of people like um oh under you know pro shouldn't go to the under 23 worlds and all that sort of stuff which is you know that's, that wasn't really like uh of my you know mentality at that time like i'd got the memo from lotto that things probably weren't coming out not going to work out for the following year you know so yeah went to the worlds in innsbruck for the under 23 race and the day before the race, I got the email from the team that said, yeah, we will not be renewing your contract for the, for the coming season. I'm thinking, flipping it, the day before the Worlds, like, this is the one race, the one race I've got to go to try and sell myself to another team. You know what I mean? Like, talk about, you could have waited, they could have waited till after the race, couldn't they? And, you know, just been, you know, I didn't then have the pressure of it playing on my mind and stuff like that. I was a bit like... To me, it felt a bit like inconsiderately timed, but it's one of those things you sort of thought, right, well, my whole career is sort of on a bit of a knife edge now. I've got one race left, don't really know what to... And you got a really good result in the end of 23, didn't you? I think I was 10th in the end, yeah. And I'll still look at that result now, and if you look at like the top 35, everybody's either World Tour or Pro Continental at some point, you know, and then other than myself, you know, there's, there's some class names out there, you know, Hershey went and won and... As he's, you know, he's just progressed and progressed and progressed since. And there's some class people in front of me and some class people behind me. I thought, sort of thought at that point, oh, actually, you know what? Hopefully that result will get me somewhere. And um, had an agent at the time. And yeah, I'm not, not against agents. It's not something I disagree with or anything. But it, it just came clear that in particular me and this other agent just weren't quite seeing eye to eye. It was something that was heavily influenced in going to Lotto was this agent would help remain at that team and would work well with that team and yeah that sort of went a bit a bit pear-shaped um and you know I felt like it was a bit unfair that he was sending me bills when I didn't have a team in he was like Joking. sending me bills for work and I'm like have you not actually done anything because I don't 
have any contract. You know, if I had a contract that, and you gained me the contract, I'd be like, who was your agent? Oh, I'm not going to go down the <laughs> down these nights. It's you know, because I'm sure. It's sure just what you had to do. Yeah, I'm sure there's another side to the coin, isn't there? You know, if I've always thought, why do cyclists have agents? I don't get it because you can just do it yourself. Yeah. So a friend of mine called last night, struggling for a team, thinking about representing himself. Sort of works with an agent, sort of doesn't wanted to know my side of the coin. And I sort of like you know said to him the best I could, sort of trying to explain the situation. When you look at it, there's so many disadvantages and advantages and there's so many things we said to each other and was like, oh yeah, this would be really good if an agent could tell us the answer to this. And it was at that point I decided to part ways with the agent, mutually agreed, you know, and he said, yeah, okay, we won't request the invoices and you can break the contract and leave it now. You know, we we didn't have to fight about it or anything like that. It was easily done. This was maybe January 2019 and he was still telling me yeah, yeah yeah, I can still get you a deal I can still get you a deal and I'm thinking mate people have started racing like you, you can't get anything like if, if you're joking anyone you know, you're joking yourself and I did have an offer then to go to Swift Carbon for the 2019 season and yeah it wasn't particularly what I wanted to do but I think you know sometimes you just have to bite your bottom lip a bit don't you yeah. and just say things haven't worked out quite the way you wanted to to and put so much sort of effort and you basically put your life into something haven't you there i'd like left home at a young age i left school at 16 and had funded my time that i did spend in belgium by working for two years when i was 17 to just before i turned 18 to go into belgium and i sort of saved up enough money as i could and I had a bit of funding from rainer fund and things like this and got to the point where i'd thought i'd made it this is it right professional career now don't really ever Hopefully, we'll never have to step down. Do you think that was a little bit of naivety? I think that was because I was, didn't have the mindset that I have now of that the world is dog-eat-dog, dog, if that makes sense. And you have to work at it. Yeah. I thought, you know, if I went there and I rode for Greipel, I rode for, for Tim and I rode for Tish and I rode for so-and-so and just did my job, that it would ultimately, like, that would be enough. But teams want results. They want first and second places and it's not... You know, even sometimes if you're a sprinter, from a sprinter's point of view, second's the first loser. First, it's first or nothing, isn't it? It's first or you've lost the race. You know, like GC's a bit different because you can have good top tens and good top fives and things. It's Yeah, that's a little bit different. But ultimately, sprinting, you've got to win. Like, otherwise, teams are not interested. Yeah, so January 2019 got to mid-end of January and thought, yeah, this agent's not quite working out. Went our separate ways. And then it wasn't till about mid to late February that I actually decided to sign for Swift and do a deal and then sort of had this real sort of mental knock and I know Mark Christian was in the same boat and Dibbon as well I think ultimately like you have to screw your head on and sort of say right well you know I'm not a better person than these other people I can't just you know fanny around and expect to be let win bike races you know I mean this UK seems full of young lads that want to be professional bike riders. People like Andy Fenn, Mark McNally. Yeah. The list is endless of people who just, I call it the graveyard of, and it is, it's a graveyard of young talent. Yeah. Oh, Macca was tried for years, didn't he? Tried way into his 20s and only just got the wanty gig, didn't he, for 24 months, did he do two years? I remember watching Andy Fenn Mm. at the National Championships around Glasgow when that Cav won and I got punted early doors, (laughs) spat. And I remember watching him go round and Andy Fenn looked like he was 
carved from granite. Mm. I remember going, he was in his Amiga Farm a lot. I was like, oh my yeah. God, you are incredible. Yeah. And now he just doesn't even race. Mad, isn't it? It affects me, maybe because I am sensitive and emotional and I suffer with depression. Maybe it affects me more, but I think about mm. things like that. When yeah. I was watching that bike race in Lincoln on Sunday Mad. on the TV, the first thing that was going through my head is, I wonder how I would feel if I was, if I'd gone there the day after. He was like, Tommy, you all right? <laughs> why, why would you go there the day after? You know, yeah. when it's empty. Just, yeah. But there's been an event the day before. That's how fucked up I am. <laughs> I'm really fucked up. I wake up in the morning. I look at the first person who sent a WhatsApp and see what time they got up. Yeah. And I'm like, bastard. Yeah. He's achieved more than me today. But I'm I'm letting that go. But the Swift gig was kind of like your um, phoenix of the ashes. You know, you were that kind of rough and rugged coffee in the back of a van. Yeah, definitely. Packet um, of crisps and, you know, you kind of really... In those situations, like you've you've got to be the professional element because the team isn't, you know, there's not buses and all this fancy nutritionists and, you know, this endless budget that can just, you know, be spent on ridiculous things like there is at different teams. So you sort of have to adopt, you have to reinvest in yourself and basically like you're an amateur again. Like you have to sort of say, right, okay, well back to square one. And I think overcoming that sort of mentally challenging side of, you know, basically just being shot back down and, there's lots of points then that I thought, well, actually, maybe maybe it's best I just retire, move on, and knock it on the head. But it was actually a friend of mine, Steph, Steph Rick, just a Zoomer, just a normal, everyday club rider, punter. A Zoomer? A Zoomer. What's a Zoomer? Like a Freddy, like a Chopper, like a... Freddy? Like a, whatever you want to call him. Never heard of a Zoomer or a Freddy. A Zoomer. He's, I've heard of a Chopper. Yeah, you know, like that kind of mm. thing. He did a bit of racing these past. He's a good, good tester. Like, stop racing. He wasn't very well in his early twenties, so he, he didn't get his fair share. Diagnosed with cancer in his early twenties, which makes me think actually my story is actually pretty easy but going. You can't, you, you can't compare. Everyone's got mm. their own journey. Yeah. But it was him that basically said, like, you've got too much talent to stop. I didn't believe that. You know, I grew up on a fairly average estate to two average parents that do two average jobs that you don't drive average cars i didn't didn't grow up to to have a dad that was a racer and you know ah oh, you know i've got a race because dad did or anything like that i was just run-of-the-mill kid from a normal state just went to a normal school and uh, he said no no you're pretty good at this you got a crack on you got to, you know give it at least give it one more year and so steph that would convince me to sort of crack on really and you know a lot of friends were of the same mindset wouldn't it's like, almost like they wouldn't let me stop, even though I was of the mindset of, yeah, like, let's call it a day. They were like, look, you've got the swift, you've got the off, you know, why don't you want to do it? So I sort of said, well, what else can I do? And sort of realized there wasn't anything else I could do. I sort of had to commit to the swift thing. And was that when you got fifth at Tour de Yorkshire? Fifth at Tour de Yorkshire, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically a world tour race. Almost, but, yeah. yeah. It's almost there. It tracks that caliber of riders you know that that level of team and you and my mate mr gabs colleague you were you yeah were battling out. he did 550 watts or p7 for five minutes i did 460 for four minutes i think i'm 60 well, I was 66 kilos at the time because i used to do my reps up there and i could never do more than i had to do scott Foyts used to give me five minutes at 450 yeah. and you got three minutes in between yeah could never do it you think of the, the watts that are done and that was after... I know, I said this to him. Four hours of racing. On the last final day. Yeah, having done two days of already brutal racing. Well, Chris Froome was attacking him. Mm. And you and him must have just been like, nah, you're all right, Chris, yeah. get back. Yeah. And he's a sprinter. He had his leg warmers on. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that, I remember that being a good week. I remember that being a real good week. And um, 
Do you race with Liam Hollahan? Yeah. Yeah, but him, he was in the car that week. Um, he was ace. He was mega good laugh as well. Like, and so went there and confidence like left there. Confidence sky high. Went on to do second in Lancaster to Bibby that year. Um, won tour of res self and spot one two rider. So this was straight after Bjorg Lambrechts had died in tour of oh, yeah. Poland, and I'd ridden on the under twenty three team a lot with him and on the pro team, so I got to know him real well. And um, yeah, I just remember thinking like, geez, like flew out to Belgium, went to the funeral, and one of the weirdest things I've ever been to. Like, I've never seen so many people at a funeral. The fact that they had to televise the inside of the funeral on a screen on the outside of the church because there was too many people to try and get yeah. in the church. It was crazy. I remember starting that race thinking, you know, like I want to give this a good bash and that sort of like gave me a bit of extra motivation that week. That, you know, thinking, right, okay. Got to think glass is half full and not half empty, haven't you? Because if you go around thinking it's half empty, it's a bit... It's hard. Lonely, isn't it? It's hard place to be because to be... Because it's easier to be a narcissist and sit back and think the world owes you something. Because yeah. then you have to put yeah. no effort in. But the payoff of believing in yourself is that you live a happy, content life. But that's hard because you have to be nice and you have to be... Something I'm learning now at the moment, you know, it's like um, I'm leaving Leeds. I've had enough of it. Fucking shitty people. <laughs> it's true, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to um, be in a toxic environment anymore. Mm. I want to be somewhere. and it's you know, Surround yourself by good people. Yeah, I want to mm. be, you know, it's time to go home. It's time to be my own mm. person, you know, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a great human being and it's going to, and I'm going that way. Mm. You know, people are like, oh, come on, Tom, you can try and be yourself again. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to be a hero again. Yeah. yeah. No, I swear down, I'm going to be a hero again. Mm. I've had like, I'm not going to that dark place no more. Be a podcast hero. You know, it's just, I'm just not doing it. But you did really work Swift and then you got the Rual. Left Rydell, confidence obviously bouncing, went to tour Britain. Had a real good race. Didn't really pull out a result, but was always there every day. Had that one day into Kendall where myself, Galapan and Hermans got caught. 350 metres to go, you know, when it finished up the Berg, Van der Poel pretty much cemented his race GC I win I remember there. watching that. Yeah. We were flying in. You Oh, you got caught towards the end? Yeah, caught on the kicker. And it yeah, went, that's I, the one. I was in the tent thing for like, yeah. I remember seeing you. You have a big, uh, this is something that I wanted to, not so much the racing, but you have a following. I don't know if you're aware of it. There no, aren't many. I'm not aware of it. I think you do. There's not many people. Um, I remember watching that race and people going, James Shaw, James Shaw. And mm. You have like not such a fan club, but mm. you see, I think people really respect how you race. Yeah. I mean, like I say, like I thought it links back to my mentality of like the strongest guy should win. I just like to grab the race by the cojones sort of thing and you know i, I respect that can put your wheels and your hero socks behind you and just concentrate on doing the best ride you can be and being the best version of you spoke to russ down in that week yeah he knew the manager of ruel really well and put us in touch and then later that week that real deal was signed it's literally they rang and said this is the offer do you want it or not said yeah we'll have it we'll go for it how much cash come on it was weird because in the end coronavirus basically so yeah went to that team obviously basically bankrupt the team basically got to june and hadn't raced or i'd been unfortunate enough to race early on they said to us yeah lads look this is the situation because of coronavirus sponsors have gone bankrupt they haven't paid us so we can either stop the team now or we can continue to race but not pay you in the hope that somebody will do a really good ride and a sponsor will come along and take us all on board or you go to different teams next year and so sort of looking at each other and sort of had a bit of a team vote and said, well, like, 
don't really have an option here, do we? We kind of <laughs> kind of have to race. Basically said, yeah, all right, we'll race for nothing. And um, we'll just do it because we love the sport and we want to yeah. move on ourselves. You know, okay. we'll we'll crack on. So that was it. Yeah, we we said, right, let's. And the sponsor never came on. Sadly not. No, sadly, and sadly that team then, well, it exists as a continental team now, but didn't exist at as a pro-continent team. You had another setback during a global pandemic. Basically, in a year, I'd pretty much financially crippled myself buying a house earlier in the year. Then the pandemic happening, basically losing my job, really. Ran for free in the hope that something would come. Went to the world's, as we spoke in, yes, Imola. Yes, Thinking that maybe I could pull something out. Head wasn't probably in the right place at the time and was sort of struggling to... You, you don't suffer from depression, do you? No, not... You don't strike me as someone who struggles in that department. I think the like, thing is, I'm really, really fortunate in the sense that like the setbacks that I'm dealt, I can keep on top of it. I'm very good at like not letting it get on top of me, which is sort of like, I can just keep myself functioning and I've got this sort of quite a sort of stubborn mentality maybe of like, you know, no, nah, like I will be a bike rider. Like If anyone's going to ruin my career and my life, it's going to be me. Not the cycling, not, you know, not somebody else telling me I can't race or something like that. Love that. I'm going to stop because I want to stop, not because you've run out of money or because you think this. And I guess it's sort of a sort of like, yeah. Arguably this season under Ribble, you've kind of had one of your best. Uh... Yeah. I mean, the Ribble thing nearly didn't happen. It was only because of Sturgis really that oh, what guy? it sort of came together. It was more like. Um, what do you think to him, Colin? Yeah. Well, I knew him before I went to Ribble. Like he's a, he was a mate before sort of thing and I'd had a negotiation with the managers before Colin had joined and said um, you know this is what I need financially and blah 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 and they said like you know we can't honour that and I says well like, I can't really afford not to given the 12 months I've had given the mortgage you don't have given the <laughs> given the complications I had at Swift and then backed up with a bloody global pandemic I mean I still received half my salary from Ruel I wasn't, did you go for enough to help out? Was she earning at the time? Well, yeah, so she was working with Trek as a travel tour guide and lost her job in March at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, Fuck. But was fortunate enough to get a job at Royal Mail. Because Royal Mail always need people, apparently. So she basically became a, a postman pat for, for a year. Um, only really went back to work recently. So, yeah, we had that sort of complication. And, yep. you know, I said, the team said, yeah, this is what we can offer. And I said, yeah, no, can't afford really. Um, but thanks anyway. And then Cole signed with him and said yeah you know we'll we'll come on board blah 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 he did this deal and he says oh look someone you need to take is is james and they say yeah, yeah we've been in touch with him but he don't want to come and so carl had a word with me and had a word with managers and sort of managed to find a bit more money just luckily as a sponsor came on board um at the same time as if by magic and so i said oh actually no budget's been boosted we can you know can we meet somewhere yeah, in the middle whatever something a deal got done and then that was the start of start of this year and so I said, yeah, let's do it. And knuckled down over the winter, said, you know, it's, you know. This, this is really out. last chance saloon, isn't it? You are yeah. in the trenches now, James. Yeah, this was, this was it. I you, mean, you can't take any more knocks. No, I, if, it, if I didn't have a contract for next year, in my head, I thought, right, I'll do one more year and then I'll do another like half-hearted year while I train to do something else, while I'm, you know, doing a studying or whatever. And you've had a great season. Yeah. So, I mean, at the start of the beginning of the year and races were getting cancelled, weren't they? And we were seeing things like Klondike being delayed and then canned completely. And we were sort of there, like, I began to wonder if I was ever going to race. <laughs> I was thinking, flipping out, like, 
what am I training for? Like, how am I going to continue to motivate myself? And is it worth it? And, you know, I could actually make more money stacking shelves in Tesco. So what, what was am the, I doing? the Savinia one where you got fifth? When he attacked and stuff. And it was, was it Rafael Micah as well? Yeah. Um, what was that like? Diego Lisi, I think as well. Mateo Sobrero. Like absolute hitters. Yeah. Did you feel, were you kind of like, did you feel out your depth? Or were you like, I can just uh, fucking hang on here? I mean, even though you had no prior racing. Once we got the green light saying, you know, actually we're in this race and we're going to go. Let's, training became a lot easier. I knew I was having a good year. I had so much time to get conditioned, so much time to train. Went there, but knew i was confident in like what i could do i knew that i could do xbox for you know this time or whatever but i had no idea how that was going to equate to a result was that good enough for a top 15 a top 20 or you know whatever so i went there and and like you say sort of got to the first first proper hilly day crossed the top of the bergs and looked back and i'm in a group of like um seven or eight guys taddy pogaccia and you know all these names you just listed off and thinking Actually, like, he's win the Tour de France next week and <laughs> actually I'm still here in this group, sort of thinking, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> should I be here? Or have I done, what have I done? Like, Is this a dream? Yeah, is this it? Is it actually happening? I remember watching that. That was absolutely phenomenal because it was, because I'm a really good mate with Rob Scott. I, I, mm, I love yeah. Rob Scott. I think he's just yeah. quality. Top lad. Yeah. And I was like, come on, Rob, come on, Rob. Yeah. And then I was automatically cheering for you. Like, I'm really... Love supporting local lads. I, mm. I, I love it. I'm a bit of a, you know, I am a fan and there's nothing wrong with that. It was just unbelievable results. Yeah. I think as well, like after that, I think the person that was like the most surprised at that was me. Like I was like, whoa, like where did this come from? And got straight home and got on the blowers as many teams as possible. Um, <laughs> as many emails as I could. Just like churning them out, you know, every 10 minutes, you know, trying to get a reply, like smashing the old LinkedIn and all this sort of stuff. Like, being self-represented like we're it's saying it's good that you're open about that because some people would find that a little bit cap in hand but i think i think it's great that you are just do you know what yeah i like to think i'm what you see is what you get sort of thing quite black and white and like i say like just so committed sort of you know like there was a point where um a friend of mine was getting his uci agent license but the UCI were delaying it because COVID this and then he couldn't take his exam here. So he had to do it, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I really want my mate to represent me, but I haven't got time to wait for him to do it. So I, I had to commit to myself. And, you know, I'm not not the greatest of writing and reading sort of thing and sort of struggled to put sort of emails together. So I like, needed a lot of help from friends and family to help me put like a good email together and and good cv from that train sharp helped me with you know went and did like lab test numbers because teams love a bit of that and cracked on like and you know churned it out as much as i could and after that we went to tour norway did we go after that and i thought well this is like this is the challenge to see if i can back up what i've already done you know like was that a one trick pony sort of thing or kind of back it up and luckily you know conditionally like backed it up another top five there like against another handful of the best riders in the world go there and and compete and the aim for us really was all about being able to ride well at the tour of britain team time trial and obviously dan was you know rubbing his hands together and <laughs> he was in his element at that and you know i was there i thought well i've done race these guys all year what can i do in my home race i've always done reasonably well at the tour of britain i think it's like because everyone comes here and our roads are really slow and but how was Cy Wilson? Yeah, mega mate, mega. He's got all pointy. Well, it was funny because me and him and Dan did the team times, the CTT team time trial champs together earlier in the year, and um, I remember thinking, 
right, we've got myself. I like to think, you know, I'm pretty fast, pretty good at riding a bike. And then you've got Mr. Mr. Aero, Mr. Gaines. And then we've got this 41-year-old bloke. Who just doesn't give up. Who's still hanging on, who works a nine till five with BC. I know, I've had some battles with Isn't Cy Wilson. He, uh, what's he, you know, and he, to be fair, he didn't miss a turn. He was no, pulling it. He was strong as fuck. Yeah, he was strong as the guy. And I, I was, oh, mine were blown. I was looking at him and I was like, this guy's No, the guy, the, the, when, he, when he's on form, Cy Wilson's yeah. flying. So we, we spoke about your development. We spoke about you've kind of gone full circle now. You can't say too much, which we understand. Look, James, I think we've covered a lot today. <laughs> you think? <laughs> really interesting today to get you here. It's been well overdue, like mm. well overdue. Yeah. And listening to your, your story and listening to your fight, your mm. Rocky Balboa type, not going to stop. Yeah. It's not easy. Your aero, your... It's a really good podcast. It's just what I wanted to get back into it again because mm. I've got a few now. And, you know, I really appreciate you making the effort to come over here and, you know, I wish you could say who you were going to, but you can't. Can't. I can't. Give it a week. Comes out on the 27th, is it, where you can announce? Yeah, near as. Barring any delays. Exciting. Mate, you deserve it. You deserve it. You know, I don't know your person. I can't claim to be your mate, <laughs> but it's um, from mm. an onlooker fucking hell mate you know you've done it you know you've don't let this one just um well no like we said it's doggy doggy sometimes it's yeah. not in your control but thank you so much for coming all right you'll have um, your story will people will listen and it's going to be it's going to be really really good yeah no i like to say it's it's quite a twisted tale isn't it very twisted it's not straightforward it's not linear some of the best things have dirt on them to grow seeds need dirt mm. to grow yeah and sometimes you have to get dirty sometimes you have to be you know I certainly have so thank you very much no thanks James thank you the Yorkshire Grit podcast subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify